We're in this long section in Mark's Gospel where Jesus is being attacked by his enemies, the religious leaders here. And today we see another attack, and this time it is from the Sadducees. Let's read Mark chapter 12, and let's read verses 18 to 27. Listen, this is God's word. Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We often have a lot of questions about what happens when we die, especially children. They are great at asking questions about what is heaven like? Will we know one another in heaven? Will our pets be in heaven? What will we do in heaven? Will we miss what we are doing here on earth? And so the questions are limitless. Well, Jesus in our passage gets a question about heaven. Will we be married in heaven? And this is another great question. But this question is not a sincere question because it was asked by those who don't believe in heaven, by those who have no hope in a resurrection. And so I want you to notice the resurrection is your hope, for the Bible speaks of it, and God is powerful to raise the dead. But more than that, he has covenanted himself to you in Christ. So firstly, watch out for the materialism of this world, verse 18. So Jesus is facing another attack from the religious leaders. Over spring break, we enjoyed watching the Lord of the Rings movies. And at the siege of Gondor, you see the city being attacked and attacked over and over again. Well, this is what's happening to Jesus Christ here. His enemies are lining up, seeking to defeat him. And these attacks took the form of questions where to catch Jesus out, to make him look foolish. And today we see the Sadducees having a go. Now, the Sadducees were a group of men who had authority over the temple. It was an inherited position, and it was one that made them very wealthy. That's evident by the markets in the temple. Jewish religion was making them rich. 
And so these men, they behaved like the elite aristocracy in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus posed a threat to their position. He clearly did not like their business of making money out of the temple. When he cleared the temple of money changers and market stall holders, he spoke of how the temple would be destroyed. And so he challenged their authority. Now, the Sadducees are very interesting because they did not believe in the resurrection. That is why they are sad, you see. Thank you. (laughs) Not my joke. (laughs) We also read of this same unbelief in Acts 23, verse 8. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the Sadducees, they deny the spiritual. They deny there is anything after death. And the reason they held to this belief was because they only recognized the authority of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And they believed that there was no mention of the resurrection in the Torah. And so they said, it doesn't exist. Well, we will see how they were mistaken in their understanding of Scripture later. But what was really going on with these men was that they were very comfortable with their lives here on earth. They were materialists. And so they had everything they needed and wanted in life. And this mindset, it affected their theology. They became skeptical of heaven and hell. Their motto would be like Jewel Austin's, live your best life now. For that is all they believed. And they believed that this was God's judgment on their life, that God was pleased with them. And that's why they knew of all these blessings. Everyone who did not know of God's blessing or these material blessings were not right with God in their opinion. And so these men, they were completely oblivious to their precarious position. But the Sadducees are not that different from many people today. A lot of folk are only interested in the material. They are materialists in that they want what this world has to offer. They don't believe in the spiritual. They don't believe that they have souls that will never die. Instead, they believe that after death, after they die, there is nothing. Their body will be consumed by worms. And this materialism of this world, it is a danger to each one of you. We can be very comfortable in this life. But Jesus came, and he was a threat to the Sadducees, and he likewise threatens the comfort that you also enjoy from this world. The Sadducees chose to respond by saying that there is no afterlife. Well, how will you respond? And this becomes apparent when we interact with others. How will you respond when you're met with skepticism by your friends? Or when your work colleagues mock you for believing that there is life after death, that your bodies will resurrect from the grave, will you stay quiet? Are you too afraid to speak of your personal spiritual beliefs? Too afraid of ridicule? Well, Jesus is facing ridicule here for his belief in the afterlife. And you should be willing to, for you know there is more than this life. You know that what this world has to offer is only a foretaste of something even greater. 
The other day I was in a coffee shop with a friend and we were given a sample of a Reese's Hershey's Delight Scone and it was delicious. But you know what would have been even better? The whole scone. This life, it is only a foretaste of something even greater. So don't get sucked into the materialism of this world. Well, secondly, do not be put off by ridicule. Verses 19 to 23. The Sadducees confront Jesus with a question. And as I said at the start, this was not a sincere question. It's a trick question. They were out to make Jesus look like a fool. They brought to Jesus this hypothetical situation of a married man dying before his wife has had a child. And so his brother then marries her, but he dies. And so another brother marries her, and he also dies. And this repeats until all six brothers have married his wife. And then the wife dies. The question is, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Now they take this from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, where God makes this provision for what would happen to a married man who died childless. What would happen to a married man's wife? It would be the responsibility of his brother or a close relative to marry the widowed wife, and their first child was to be counted as belonging to the dead man. And we get an example of this in the book of Ruth. Boaz is the close relative who marries the widow Ruth, and the first child was given to Naomi, restoring Naomi's husband's honor by keeping her husband's family name from dying out. And so the Sadducees, they bring this absurd situation, but one that is still technically possible to demonstrate that if the resurrection is real, that if there is an afterlife, then this woman is in the ridiculous situation of having seven husbands in the resurrection. And they're arguing that since God gave this provision in Deuteronomy, that there cannot be a resurrection. It'd be incoherent. Otherwise, there will be people in heaven with two or three spouses, even seven. Well, Ferguson says, doubtless their question was an old chestnut, the kind of question every Sadducee's son asks every Pharisee's son in primary school. No one had ever found an answer to it, and the Sadducees expected no one would. And so they bring this impossible question to Jesus in an attempt to make Jesus look like a fool. They were not actually interested in the answer. They were interested in bringing Jesus down. And there are many people who seek to ridicule us today. That's their goal. I remember in Belfast, we had a lunchtime service on a Thursday. And a couple of humanists came every week. And every week, they would ask us, after the service, the most bizarre questions. But they never really listened to what we had to say. Their goal was only to try and stump us. They wanted to show just how intelligent that they were. So do not be surprised by this form of attack. It is part of man's pride to try and bring others down and so appear superior. And they often use ridicule to do this. How do you respond to these attacks? Well, Proverbs 24 gives us good wisdom. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There are times to respond. There are times to ignore. 
And you have to discern when to do this. Well, let's see how Jesus responds to this attack. So thirdly, you are to know the scriptures and the power of God, or else you will be in error. Verse 24. Jesus is not impressed with this story that they have come up with. And so Jesus isn't allowing the Sadducees to hold on to their position. He doesn't say, well, that's your opinion, and I have mine, and so both are valid. No, he clearly tells them they are wrong. They are mistaken. They are behaving like the devil. The devil also used scripture to test Jesus. But like the devil, these Sadducees are twisting scripture. They think they know scripture, but actually they are ignorant. For if they knew the Bible, they would know that the resurrection is true. No, they saw the scriptures through their own materialistic lens. And so as a result, they did not understand them. Even in the Torah, we read of the resurrection. When Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham believed that God would resurrect Isaac. He told his servants that they would both return from the mountain. Hebrews 11 speaks of this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. But as well as not seeing the resurrection in the scriptures, these Sadducees did not see the power of God in the scriptures. Even though in the Torah we read of a powerful deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt. But the Sadducees still did not believe that God had the power to raise the dead to life. Hughes, in his commentary, he describes uh, this event as a national resurrection brought by miracle after miracle. God, in his power, brought ten plagues down on Egypt. He divided the Red Sea to bring about this resurrecting power to the nation of Israel. And so the Sadducees, they denied the power of God because, well, they had not experienced it themselves. And so we see their pride. They believe that they can judge God, that they know better what he can or cannot do. Now, does it ever annoy you when you hear people talking about things that they have no clue about? They think they are the experts. Just go on Facebook. It's full of experts. Well, the Sadducees think they are the experts, but they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know the power of God. And the result is they are mistaken. Hughes writes, almost all theological error can be traced to one or the other. And so that's a challenge for you and me, to know the scripture and to know the power of God working in our own lives. Well, fourthly, You have a certain hope of the resurrection, verse 25. Jesus very clearly speaks of the resurrection. He says, when they rise from the dead, there is no uncertainty. He doesn't say, if they rise from the dead. No, Jesus believes in the resurrection. He believes in his own resurrection. He has already prophesied three times now that he would rise again on the third day after being killed. 
And this is a focus throughout the scriptures. The prophet Daniel speaks of it in Daniel 12. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. A number of the Psalms speak of the resurrection. The ones we have sung this afternoon all speak of the resurrection hope that the psalmists have. And we read of many instances of resurrection or resurrection-like experiences. Adam's newly formed physical body being raised to life by the breath of God. Noah and his family are delivered from the flood. Enoch is described as being no more. Joseph was lifted up from the pit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the furnace. Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. Jonah resurrected from the great fish. Ezekiel speaks of his vision of dry bones taking on flesh. And the New Testament, too, speaks of the resurrection very clearly, that it is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have hope. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Paul says that without the resurrection, your faith is empty. The resurrection is therefore crucial. We can have confidence that the resurrection will happen because it has already happened to Christ. Now, even though the Sadducees are skeptical, Jesus goes on and dispels the conundrum that they have come up with. This issue they bring up, with, bring up is actually a non-issue, for he teaches them that there is no marriage in heaven. I remember visiting with Pastor Ken Smith after his wife Lloyd died, and he spoke of taking off his wedding ring, for in heaven there is no marriage. Now, this is often a difficult thing to grasp. Surely marriage is a good thing. Why is there no marriage in heaven? Well, one of the main concerns with marriage is that of reproduction. And this physical relationship will no longer be applicable. Jesus says that we will be like angels in that regard. Our focus instead will be on the worship of God. But in terms of our relationships, we will know one another in heaven. Later, Jesus speaks of God being uh, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Isaac and Jacob, rather. These men are identifiable. And so you will also be able to identify loved ones in heaven. You will not be married, but you will know your friends and family. You will know your husband and your wife, or your husbands and your wives. Mr. Donnelly, in his book, Heaven and Hell, writes, For every good thing will be better in heaven than on earth. If God has given you a Christian husband or wife, parent or child, brother or friend, you can be sure that whatever the parameters of your future relationship with them may be, the friendship will be closer there than it is now. You will know them more intimately, love them more intensely, delight in them more fully. It is impossible that we should lose anything good in that place where good abounds. We can look at Christians whom we love, especially, and praise God that we can continue to love them more and more forever and ever.
And so if you know the blessing of these relationships now, you can be sure that they will be even richer in heaven. John Perry was a preacher in the 17th century. He was captured and placed in the Tower of London before he was to be executed. And he wrote a letter to his wife. He was not able or was not allowed to visit him before his death. And he signed the letter, your husband for a season and your eternal brother. While there is not marriage in heaven, you can be sure of an even closer relationship when you're raised together in Christ. Well, fifthly, notice God has covenanted himself to you through Christ, so you have a certain hope. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus reminds the Sadducees of an event in Exodus 3. So it's part of the scriptures that they believe in, and he speaks to them of how God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. This burning bush, it kept burning, and yet the fire It never consumed the bush. Now I'm enjoying a log fire at home, but it takes a lot of wood to keep that fire burning. Well, this fire, this burning bush is self-existing. It needs no fuel to keep it going. And this fire, it points to God himself. God depends on no one but himself. He is self-existent. He is the great I am. He is unchanging. He is eternal. He is completely stable. He is certain and sure. And yet, he is the God who has covenanted with his people. He's chosen to identify himself with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants after them. And this is covenant language. He's promised to be their God. And so in him, they know deliverance and they know ongoing help. As a result, they can have confidence of the resurrection for they enjoy a covenant relationship with God. And since God is eternal, since he never changes, their covenant position is secure, even in death. For the Sadducees, their argument would mean that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are no more. And God's covenant is ultimately meaningless in death, and that God himself is weak. No wonder Jesus concludes with them, you are therefore greatly mistaken. Oregon says it is ridiculous for God to say that he is the God of men who have no existence. Ferguson writes, if the Sadducees had known the power of God as those patriarchs had done, they would realize that hope in God is not for this life only. In a word, Jesus was saying to deny the resurrection is simply to deny God and his true character. Deny the resurrection when you become a practical atheist. No, instead, God is the God of the living, not the dead. He rescues his people eternally. And so as a result, you do not need to fear death. Christ took your death on himself, and so you can know his eternity, both body and soul. God will not let you go. Spurgeon writes, the eternal God does not covenant with creatures that live only three scores and ten years and then go out like a candle. That is how you must see, that is not how you must see God. You must see God as the one who will not let you go. Even as you face death, you can be sure that God will not let you go. You can be sure he is your God in life and in death. And so he will raise you up. He will resurrect you in glory. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Do you believe this? Well, you must respond, yes, I do. For the resurrection is your hope. The Bible speaks of it, and God is powerful to raise the dead. But more than that, he has covenanted himself to you in Christ. The Sadducees, they tried to make Christ look foolish. In the end, they are proven to be the fools. They came up with this hypothetical issue of marriage in heaven. But they are missing the most important marriage in heaven. A marriage that John speaks of in Revelation 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be one marriage in heaven, our marriage to Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And we look forward to an eternity celebrating this marriage feast. For the resurrection is your hope. For the Bible speaks of it, and God is powerful to raise the dead. But more than that, he has covenanted himself to you in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are secure in you. You have covenanted with us, so we are secure in this life, but secure also in the life to come. And so, Lord, forgive us when we get sucked into the lies of this world, sucked into the lies of materialism, when we ignore our eternal being. We thank you that we can look forward to an eternity where we know even more intimate relationships than we have here on earth. And we thank you for our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for it is in his resurrection that we also have hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service singing Psalm 16D. Psalm 16D, the psalmist has confidence in God. And that is why he says, preserve me, O God, for I'm trusting in you. He knows that God can save him from death. He is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. So stand and sing Psalm 16D.